We'll be looking at Romans chapter 3 together. It will be on the screen. It's a, it's a tiny bit small uh, because I wanted it all to be on one screen. So if you can't see it, let me encourage you to grab a copy of God's Word. If you are grabbing one of the Bibles from the seat back in front of you, we're on page 941. The black hardback uh, Bibles are the same as this one, and so it's easy to follow along. All right, if you're with me in Romans 3, simply say amen. Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The summary statement for today's sermon, the target statement, main point of the sermon is really verse 22. I'm going to read verse 22 again and kind of rephrase it to make its point even clearer, maybe. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I've simply made the statement this way. Jesus offers salvation to all who put their faith in him. Such a simple statement. Such a theologically rich statement, and it's a statement that has a few implications. For example, Jesus offers salvation to all, implies and assumes that there's a need for salvation. Paul addresses that exact implication in a moment. But Jesus offers salvation to all who what? Put their faith in him. There's kind of three things we're going to look at as we unpack this text to understand this main point and hopefully make a clear text, even clearer to us today. We're going to look at the problem, the solution, and the means to the solution. Once again, Jesus offers salvation to all who put their faith in him or put their faith in Jesus. This implies that there's a problem or need for salvation. It answers and gives a solution, and the text also tells us the means in which the solution is provided. So first, let's look at the problem. Verse 23, at the end of verse 22, end of verse 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now in context, for there is no distinction, Paul just got done in Romans 1, 2, into this part in chapter 3, giving an argument, writing to a Jewish and Gentile audience, explaining that whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, there is no distinction in the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when we think about it, that includes us. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile, there is no distinction. So when the text says, for all have sinned, it's as simple as that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul would continue his argument in chapter 5, verse 12, when he says this. It won't be on the screen, but if you don't flip the page, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and then death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. The exact same phrase, death spread to all men because all sinned, is the same as Romans 3. For all have sinned. So the reality is, the problem is, all have sinned 
and then there's death. Because of one person's sin and all have sinned, there is death. And they fall short of the glory of God. When we think about God as a just God and God as a righteous God, God in manifesting his characteristics and his glory, the statement, the problem is simple. You and I are unworthy of that glory. You and I fall short of that glory. This is a relatively popular text, rightfully so, because it summarizes an important theological truth within the Christian faith. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this was a text that I, was, I memorized as a kid. It was a common text. And I memorized it, and I memorized it as this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want you to hear what I said again, but I want to say it slower. It wasn't until I was a pastor, believe it or not, that I noticed this small distinction that I was missing. I memorized, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did you catch that? Fallen. It's a past tense state. It's a past tense word. I memorized it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what does the text say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, you're like, you know, what is it? Tomato, tomato. Like, is there really that big of a difference between those two? And as far as theological truth, I understood them to be the same. But the importance is that this is a present tense. That even though we just read Romans 5, that Adam sinned, and because of Adam's sin, there is death, and therefore because of that death, we fall short. So the issue, I want us to point out, though, the problem is, yes, Adam sinned, and therefore we're all born into sin, but that's not the only issue. The issue isn't that we fall short of God's glory because of what something else or someone, somebody else has done, but for all have sinned, that's us, and we fall short of the glory of God currently because of what we have done. Yes, we are born in with a sinful nature. That's the argument of Romans 5, 12, because death came through the one man and death spread to all men because all have sinned. But Romans 3 is pointing out the problem by not blaming Adam or someone else for the predicament that we're in, even though that's part of it. But Romans 3 is making it clear, even earlier in verse 9 and 10, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, this is a strong and harsh truth, but this is the reality. For all have sinned, including us, and we fall short of God's glory. A couple weeks ago, I was playing basketball uh, with some pastors. We're playing basketball, and then I got the most common question I always get in my life. Anybody willing to guess what that common question is? How tall are you? That is the common question I get. How tall are you? To which I responded 6'6". To which this person responded, oh, you're like Michael Jordan. To which I responded, yes, I'm exactly like Michael Jordan. And here y'all are laughing. That wasn't even a joke. Like, what? Is... I give that, it, it, you should laugh because that's about where the comparisons end is our height. You know, I mean, I like to think I play like Mike, but we all know the truth. But you laugh because you recognize something immediately. I no way measure up to who Michael Jordan is as a basketball player. Now, this is a simple illustration, and, but I want us to get something. When all of creation looks on the human race as God's creation that rebelled against him, and if we were to any way make a statement that we measure up to God's glory, they would laugh in the same way you just laughed at me. Because when we see God in his glory for who he is and what he has done and every, his majesty of his righteousness and his justness and the fact that we in sin, being simply defined as choosing to disobey, rebel against God and do things our own way, make our, our own selves the little G God of our lives, 
that when we have done that, we fall short of his glory. We are unworthy of him. We do not measure up in any way. And in the same way you all just laughed at me, that's even infinity times more appalling to the fact that we could ever measure up to God's glory. This is the problem. This is the problem of the human race. This is the problem that is played out in the brokenness around us and in the brokenness ultimately in our own lives. Is that yes, there are physical needs, but we have this great spiritual need. The problem is, and there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin keeps us from sharing in God's glory. But praise be to God, we celebrate Easter and we celebrate the continued truths of Scripture. And so Paul does not end here with the problem, but he comes and offers a solution. Let me read 23 again, going into verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Who is justified by his grace as a gift? The same people who fall short of the glory of God. The problem is that you and I are unworthy of Christ. We are unworthy of him. We are unworthy to be in his presence, to spend eternity with him. This is the problem. But the solution is, is he offers us justification as a free gift given to us by grace. What does it mean to be justified? It's a legal term that justified, to be made right, to be made holy, to have a judge justly look upon you and say, not guilty. It's, it's literally this idea in light of the theological truth that you and I are guilty, unworthy of God, unworthy to be with him. We get this. We fall short of his glory, but God in his grace and his mercy looks upon us and solves the problem for us and says, justified, no longer guilty, forgiven, innocent, now worthy to be in my presence. Now, this is a wonderful thing. It's a, it's a gift that is given freely by grace. All of us like gifts, yes? All of us like gifts. Birthdays come around, you know, anniversaries come around. Today's my anniversary. Yeah, I don't know that y'all give gifts to other people on your anniversary, but you could try. We could try that out if you want, right? We all like gifts, but when we think about gifts, it's something that's freely given to us that we didn't earn, right? You go to work, you get paid. That is not a gift. That payment is due upon you. If you didn't get it, you'd be like, give me my money. Like that is yours. You have earned it. But a gift is something that is not earned, but it's freely given. It is defined as a gracious gift, a gift that is not deserved, but been freely given to you. You are justified by his grace as a gift. I want you to look at verse 26 because we want it helps us better understand this idea of justification. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier. There's those words again. He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now remember our target statement, Jesus offers salvation to all who put their faith in him. Salvation, to be made just, is the way it's being defined here, or righteous. But why is it important for Paul to point out that Jesus, that God himself might be the just, might be just and the justifier? See, when we think about a God who looks at someone who is guilty and it says not guilty, think about it in a common day court scenario. 
what would our reaction be if a judge looked at someone who was guilty, we knew to be guilty, and said, not guilty, you're free to go. I'm pretty sure we would not be okay with that. In fact, one of the accurate results of that would be that that judge is not just. He's not just. Because a just judge, to be just, would to declare guilty upon a guilty person. So for a judge to say not guilty on a guilty person would no longer make the judge just. Yes? But for Jesus, or for God himself, in order to forgive us, to be just, and the justifier... There had to be a solution. I had a conversation, and this is a common conversation because it's a, it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a notion that if we're not careful, we can miss an important thing about Christ's forgiveness. There's a conversation and a statement was made, which I hear it often, is that Jesus, that God, Jesus, however you choose to specifically word it, but in the context of Jesus and his forgiveness of our sins, that Jesus didn't have to die to forgive us of our sins. He's God. He could do whatever he wanted. God could have just chosen to forgive us of our sins without dying. Now, we're going to get technical for a second, so make sure you hear my words exact. Jesus did not have to die if he did not want to forgive us of our sins. He didn't have to forgive us of our sins. He could have chosen not to love us and not to forgive us of our sins. But if God loved us and wanted to forgive us of our sins, he had to die, and there was no way around it. This is important. Why? Because there's no way for him to be just and the justifier unless he were to die for us. When we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this is not just, oh, I'm so glad he did this for us, which that alone would be great. But I want you to see that Jesus loved us so much that there was no other option for him to continue to be just and for him to call us innocent without paying the penalty would have been unjust. And that would have been a denial of his character. Therefore, he couldn't have done it. But for him to stay just, as Paul's arguing in verse 26, stay just to be a just God and to say, be the justifier of the sinful, then there had to be someone worthy enough to pay the price of the guilt. Right? So when you think about it this way, there's an illustration I heard from Tim Keller once, and it's so simple, it's so great, and just makes sense to me. Hopefully it'll make sense to you. You you steal $10 from me. And I choose to forgive you, meaning I'll let you have it. I forgive you. It's okay. What did that cost me to forgive you? $10. I didn't get my $10 back. You you kept my $10. For me to forgive you of something, it had to cost me that same something. Forgive you of taking my $10, I had to let the $10 go. Understand? For Jesus to forgive us of our guilt that deserved the penalty of death and give us life, He had to pay that price. It had to cost him, so to speak. $10 cost him $10. Give us life cost him his life. For him to be the just and the justifier, to have a solution that says, and you are justified by his grace as a gift to forgive us of our sin, he had to bear the weight and the cost of that sin. And therefore he had to die. And he loved us so much He could have chosen not to die and not to forgive us. But if he wanted to forgive us in order to stay just and still be a judge who says not guilty when someone is guilty, that's because someone else paid that guilt price. And there's only one person worthy enough, 100% God and 100% man, the person of Jesus Christ. 
So that's why in a moment when we're going to take the Lord's Supper, Jesus would say, this is my body that is broken for you. And this is my blood that is poured out for you. And Isaiah would say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins because a penalty price has to be paid. We must understand. Now, understand, I recognize that some may not agree, but I want us to see this is what Scripture is saying. You may be here and you may not consider yourself a Christian. You may have a different religious background and you came with a friend and you're just wanting to learn. We want to say, welcome. Ask questions. We would love to share with you. But we unashamedly say that this is what we believe Scripture is is saying. It says it clearly, is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's nothing that we can do in our own power or strength to be worthy. In the same way, I guess there's some chance, but we all know there's really not a chance that I could work my way to be equal with Michael Jordan. Like, that's just not going to happen. Infinitely more, we can never do something to be equal with a holy and just God when we are not holy and just. Unless that holy and just God says justified. And in order for him to say justified, there had to be a price to be paid, which is now the means of the solution. We saw the problem, we fall short. The solution is that we are justified by grace as a gift. How and the means in which he's done that? We've already talked about it, but let's continue to unpack it. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through. Through is a statement of means. Cause and effect. How did this happen? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or payment by his blood to be received by faith. Understand the problem. We fall short of the glory of God. Hopeless. Solution. God gives us grace, forgives us, makes us righteous, and calls us justified. But he can't just do that freely without first earning that salvation without first paying the price. Well, how did he pay the price? The redemption comes through Christ Jesus, whom God the Father put forward as a payment. So imagine God the Father judge looking at us as guilty. He's a just God. He cannot ignore our guilt. In order to stay just, says, I want to call you forgiven, but someone has to pay the price. And so I give you my son, I love you so very much for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting life. The redemption is through the blood of Jesus to be received by faith. We fall short of the glory of God. A loving God says, I want to forgive them, but I'm a just God. I can't just forgive them without paying the price. Someone has to pay the price. So he puts up his own son. And when we celebrate Easter, it's the celebration of the Passion Week, of the real historical events where we believe God in person went to the cross, died in our place, this moment where he cries out in Aramaic, Lama, Lama, Sakbakthini, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says, this moment where Jesus being forsaken by the Father, what does it mean to be forsaken by the Father? It's to be, have none of the grace that is due upon his name. But instead, it's nothing but the wrath of the Father. He's paying for the price of our sin. He's literally experiencing hell on earth, the absence of grace, the full measure of wrath. That's a good description of hell. Absence of God's grace, full measure of wrath. In there on the cross, he experienced that. So if we put faith in him, we never have to experience that for ourselves. This is the beautiful story 
of the Passion Week. It's the beautiful story of Good Friday and of the resurrection. But he died, but he did not stay dead. But he rose to life, defeating death, defeating the curse of sin and death in order to give us life. And Paul would go on to argue in Romans chapter 6, because Jesus died and was rose to life, never to die again, when we put our faith and trust in him, he too raises us to life for all eternity, never to die again. Church family, I want to invite you to reflect on these truths summarized in the target statement. Jesus offers salvation to all who put their faith in him. Simple question, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him, meaning have you called upon him as a holy and just God, recognizing that you fall short of his glory? You are unworthy of forgiveness, but yet as a free gift of grace, he offers you that forgiveness when you put your faith and trust in him. It's a forgiveness that cannot be earned, but it's a forgiveness that is freely given when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you surrendered to him as the Lord and Savior of your life? And said, my life is no longer mine, but you are my God and my King. I worship you with my life. Scripture says that if you call upon the name of Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I pray that today, maybe for the first time, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that today will be the day of salvation for you because Jesus offers salvation, saving from our own sin and guilt, our own eternal damnation. He, Jesus offers salvation from that to all who put their faith and trust in him. It is Easter, and it's also the second Sunday of the month, which is our tradition to take the Lord's Supper together. And I think it's incredibly fitting to take the Lord's Supper and communion together. We here at New Hope, um, we depend, there's different traditions, but our tradition says that we uh, offer communion, whether you're a member of our church or not, if you are a professing believer in Jesus Christ. And so whether you're a member or not, we want to invite you. If you go, hey, my, I put my faith and trust in Jesus, we want to invite you to take communion. Now, if you're here as a guest and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, first of all, we want to say again, welcome, glad you're here. But this is a symbolic meal that represents what Christ has done for us. We want to invite you just to pay attention, learn, but not to participate because this is a meal that is specific to uh, Christian faith. And specifically, it's a meal that says, as I eat this cracker, and drink this juice, I believe what it represents. That Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out for my salvation. And so by eating and drinking, we're making a statement saying we believe that. So if you don't believe that, we just want to invite you to watch and learn and listen, but not to participate. If you need the elements, we want to invite you just to get Charles' attention. He'll bring you uh, the elements. Just keep, keep your hand up, get his attention. He'll do that. But while, while that is happening, I want to invite us to reflect on the Lord's Supper. Paul, when he is teaching the church in Corinth to take the Lord's Supper, he tells them to do this in a reverent manner, to do this in reflection. And so I want to take us to reflect on three quick thoughts. First, we're going to reflect looking back, meaning we're going to look back to the Easter week, the original first Easter, the first Passover um, with Jesus, where he takes at that Passover meal the bread and he breaks it and said, this is my body. Jesus tells us every time we eat and drink to do this in remembrance. Why? Because we can tend to forget about his goodness 
And so we take it as a constant reminder of his goodness and what he has done for us. So take a moment and just, I encourage you, bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to encourage you just to reflect back on what Jesus has done for you. Take a moment and thank him for what he has done for you. Remember the sacrifice that was paid. And in light of looking back on the reality of what Christ has done for us, I want you to look to the present. Look to the past. The past has implications to the present. And so because of what he's done, Scripture calls us to repent of our sins. And Scripture says if there's any sin in knowingly in our heart that we are not confessing and dealing with, we need to do that before we eat of the elements. Because when we eat of the elements, what we're saying is we believe this and we repent. So let us actually believe and repent. And so take a moment and ask the Spirit of God to reveal areas in our heart that we need to confess sin, repent of, and surrender over to Him. Take a moment and look to the present. Look inward and confess sin before him. Lastly, we look to the future. We look to the past in remembrance. We look to the present in reflection. And then we look to the future in hope. Jesus promises that one day, He will return. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll call us home and that he will eat this meal with us in paradise. We look forward to a hope and a promise of eternity with him that our sins are forgiven, that the brokenness and the pain of this temporary world will one day pass away and all eternity with him will be for all eternity. And so we look forward in hope. We press on in hope and we eat this in victorious celebration for what Christ has done, the victory that has already been won. And so we look forward in hope. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.